Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Glad you're with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon. I hope you and all of our podcast family out there had a great Thanksgiving. More families getting together now, even though there's still some trepidation here and there, but uh, it's opening up a bit, it seems. It's opening up a bit. Let's hope it doesn't, um, you know, re-kick everything in uh, and whatever. It looks like uh, from the data from the airports, it looks like maybe the the country is flying again. We're almost up to 2019 levels on this. So my goodness. Um, and um, look, uh, I certainly have a, so much to be thankful for and, um, and appreciative. And, um, and I guess we're making progress. So uh, Fred, maybe we are making progress. We keep trudging along here, uh, trying to make some progress. Well, that's what it's all about. From the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, AutoX uh, operates China's largest fully driverless robo-taxi service area in Shenzhen. So a pretty big story there, and we're hoping that they're going to be joining us in the not-too-distant future to talk about it a little bit. Pretty good yeah, story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've um, we've been a little bit, or at least we, I've been a little bit skeptical a little bit and, and so on of, of some of the things and some of the videos that we see from some of the manufacturers, but... Uh, um, and there may have been some overpromises, but it looks as if, I mean, from this latest round from Auto X, that in fact, you know, they've been out there uh, uh, progressing in a large sense, uh, much the way Waymo progressed in in in, uh, uh, in uh, Arizona. And um, and it looks as if really they are out there driverlessly and and. Uh, you know, what's impressive about the, uh, them is that the, they do have a relatively sizable fleet to start. And the video they put out of driving in a, vill- in a village, I mean, uh, I looked at it carefully. It, it looked real. And, and to, to be able to do that, um, boy, that, that car drove better than I could have driven down that street, I think. And, um, and so, um, yeah, if they're having good response, good response with no disengagements i mean it's the key thing and they're out there um, uh, driverlessly and um, certainly haven't heard of any uh, uh, negative aspects well um, you know um, uh, congratulations you know congratulations and and kudos are really in store for uh, jiang jiang and I mean, they've, they've, they've got some pretty big time backing too from uh, alibaba there, which well, is, I guess, yeah. oh, just about akin to Google and Waymo here, right? Yeah, they they have big time ba- uh, backing and and appropriate, appropriately so. Uh, uh, Jiang Zhong uh, Xiao, their CEO, you know, he was an assistant professor in computer science and 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 uh, really a computer vision here at Princeton, and um, and basically uh, started focusing on. Uh, on this problem, and and then uh, of course uh, uh, left the university to become CEO of AutoX, and, and it looks like um, there's um, there's real substance. He's you know he's certainly a quality individual, um, and uh, 
and it looks like he's he's actually doing it. So uh, hats off, congratulations, uh, all proud of you. Absolutely, and uh, Gatic and Walmart have achieved fully driverless deliveries. Uh, the press release says they're operating daily without a safety driver behind the wheel in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, we're happy that uh, their CEO is scheduled to join us in the near future to discuss this, but it's exciting news. Yeah, it's exciting news there, too, that, uh, again, uh, these are, these are uh, you know, now two more uh, companies out there who, uh, through the, the evaluation of their own uh, uh, performance, have this decided that the reward is is substantially greater than the risk and have taken this and the key is 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 to get to a point in which in which you can remove the attendant and the driver at least the key to me that's 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 the enormous jump uh because that all of a sudden begins to say my goodness this has the opportunity to scale uh, because now it's, uh, you know, as scale goes up, it, it comes out to be, you know, just the operating costs, the, how much electricity or, or fuel you burn and uh, the capitalization of, of, the, uh, of the vehicle and, and the cameras and processors and so on that are on board. And uh, of course, um, uh, you know, my view is, is that, that the sensors and the actuators and the processors are all um, um, Moore's Law-ish type things, which means um, as it scales, uh, those costs are basically going to go to zero. And the key thing is, is that the labor costs, the cost of, you know, feeding somebody's family um, to be able to accomplish these things, uh, that's not part of the equation because, you know, computers and, and LIDARs and radars and cameras and actuators don't have any families to feed. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it's sort of fundamental. It's, it's so fundamental that all of a sudden that allows that the, the cost of creating the mobility uh, to become um, affordable and if the costs are affordable then hey you want to make the price affordable you make the price whatever you want since you know make the price so that you become a rich guy or you know if for some make the price so that it uh, really um, delivers some societal value but but the amount that you're going to have to give to do that is is going to be uh is going to be more acceptable by society and therefore all of a sudden it, it'll be inexpensive to provide mobility on an equitable basis to folks. Uh, high quality mobility. Uh, problem now is to do high quality mobility, you have to compact everybody so tightly so that you can put enough of them in a, in a bus or in a subway tr uh, train so that you can afford to pay for the, the, the engineer or the, uh, or the uh, motorman or the, uh, or the bus driver. So again, uh, that's what I've considered to be revolutionary is to get over that hurdle so that the technology is good enough to do that safely. That and and where you can go with this new mobility, because the subways and the buses are obviously limited as to they're where really they're, limited so where where they're serving. Go. 
Absolutely. So the opportunity is is to do it in an operational design domain. But as it looks like uh, AutoX started it in a small one and built it bigger. Uh, Waymo started it in a small one and built it bigger. Uh, Gaddix started in starts in one. You know, the opportunity is you, know, you do it there and you incrementally in, increase it. And so all of a sudden you, you get network effects uh, on this thing. You get things that are, you know, square of, of, of opportunities and so on. I mean, the, you know, the, the scaling piece of this is, is it looks very, very good. But you of course, about- the, the, you know, the, the challenge of all this is while the technology might be able to scale, and the and become affordable the whole sociology of the thing uh the the acceptance of this technology and and its ability to uh, um to to be uh, to be to be appreciated um is going to be key absolutely and we know how hard you've been working on this and hopefully there's going to be some more news we'll be talking about soon. yeah hopefully i mean <laughs> we have hope fred fred if there's anything that we have is we have hope <laughs> uh, we haven't thrown in the towel yet <clears throat> well, we talked about getting out and about a, li- a little bit and the, the ninth annual florida automated vehicle summit is getting underway next week in orlando and that's something you're looking forward to yeah, I'm looking forward to that because uh, finally getting back to uh, there, I was there two years ago, and I think I was at the first one too, and all that. I've been uh, to, to a number of them, and it's nice to see the Floridas bringing us together, and um, and hopefully, um, you know, get a chance to actually see somebody and talk to some people face to face. Wouldn't that be something? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Fred Lambert at Electric uh, reports that Tesla is now asking owners getting into the full self-driving beta program to accept that Tesla can use footage from both the inside and outside of the car in the event of a serious safety risk or a safety event like a, like a collision. And that's something I guess that, that makes sense, right? Uh, enormous amount of sense and and I applaud Tesla for doing that. Hey, you know, is you have a choice. You know, you can you can take advantage and, and be able to use the technology for for your benefit, but there are some costs that are associated with that, and the cost is that um, that you know you have to agree to be watched while you're doing it. One to make sure you don't misbehave doing using it. I mean, come on, because if you start misbehaving using it, I mean, this is this is um, you can cause some problems. Well, we already know anytime there's any kind of a crash uh, that makes some kind of headlines, if it involves a Tesla. Well, not only uh, headlines, it's fine if it makes headlines. The issue is, is is to what extent uh, who's responsible. Uh, You know, one of the good things about the about the. Using automobiles is, is it's supposedly a privilege. It's not a right. It's a privilege, and the privilege to, to be able to drive and to and to use the roads and so on and so forth requires that uh, you know, if uh, if you uh, if you cause uh, somebody some harm, you're the one that's responsible. The driver's responsible. I mean, that's why we that's why we buy insurances that you know help us out and go in case you know we somehow uh, uh, cause something, and because we're responsible for putting it back together or fixing it or or providing you know appropriate uh, compensation. 
But now, if it's going to be a you know computer or a gizmo that does the driving, then that gizmo has to be responsible. Well, of course, that responsibility gizmo. Huh, what you know? What does it care? You know, it's willing to go to the garbage dump and be crushed or something like that, as far as it's concerned. It isn't, you know. But the creator of that. Then, then the responsibility needs to pass down to the creator of that, and and the creator of this of the driver in the Tesla is Tesla, and so you know they they have to be responsible if something, if 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 what they've put into the vehicle causes something bad, bad to happen, they're liable, and so to you know for them to determine, look, uh, you know for them to be there, and at least realize that that they're responsible hey might as well get the data from the system in some mm-hmm. sense you know once you have the data then you know there's sure there's always a gray area it's so my fault or your fault oh but boy you know it it lets huh, makes it obvious and if it makes it obvious and then, uh, then you know then they should be able to defend themselves and say hey look it wasn't us it was you and if it was them, then I would suspect that they'll have all their lawyers and whatever say, hey, you know, fix it, you know, make good, settle. No use arguing about it. Now, sure, there's some gray area in there because, you know, lawyers want to be able to whatever and whatever, you know, will make, but, but in a sense, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely, in a sense, it's really by the, the, the computer and, and the, the system, the stack that did the driving for it to protect itself. And also to say, oh, yeah, sorry, it was my fault. We'll fix it. And by the way, here, uh, let's settle this thing. Well, they want to know, Tesla wants to know what your behavior has been like. I mean, GM is now advertising pretty heavily. The, the new Super Cruise and some new vehicles coming out. So... Yeah, they're watching you, and if you're if you're not paying attention, they'll take it away. And I think, and, and I suspect, and I don't know, I haven't read the fine print or looked at the fine print that that that, that uh, uh, GM and so on put in there. But uh, whether or not they get to use their data in case of a in case of and and the interesting thing about the the Tesla thing is not only if there's a crash, but a dangerous situation. And of course, I mean, to me, I think that's that indicates a, a, a great amount of responsibility by 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 Tesla saying, "Look, if 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 we that was a close one, then they look at that and they see that my goodness, it's because of something that we did or something like that. They can fix it, and that's great. But if you don't have the data for it and so on, well, then you can't." All right. And uh, of course, tying it to an individual really comes as to, you know, whether or not now there's there's going to be an argument as to who's responsible. Well, another benefit, I suppose, is that if you're doing that and the drivers know that you're doing that, they're more likely to behave. Well, I would think so, (laughs) although, you know, I think as some years past, the the U.S. Department of Transportation had a whole research initiative in which they put cameras in cars and um, and wanted to watch uh, driver behavior. 
And of course, they told them the cameras were in the cars. And then, you know, in the beginning, everybody's now like, you know, perfectly driving down the road, staying, you know, and about, you know, 12 seconds later, they're picking their nose and whatever, and they're <laughs> doing goofy stuff and whatever. And, you know, they just forgot about it. And it, it, it didn't change it. Well, I, I think the conclusion was largely that it just cameras watching you really doesn't change your behavior. Uh, which was, um, you know, not the prettiest response. Maybe I'm not, you know, characterizing the research. I think it was done down at uh, by folks at uh, at Virginia Tech, and it's good work. And uh, and uh, <laughs> I think, you know, people have been trying to change my behavior for years, and they haven't <laughs> made very much progress. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> this, this next one we're going to file under words matter. Uh, on the other side of the pond, uh, Europe NCAP has published the assistant driving gratings of seven cars equipped with highway assist. The document says the driver is expected to keep his hands on the wheel and his eyes on the road at all times. That caught your attention, Alan. Well, I thought, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm probably very, I am very unfair, but but I think uh, we try not to do that anymore here <laughs> over on this side of the pond. But but it is Europe. I think I think what's 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 a little bit what to me is is still unfortunate with these systems is that the automated emergency braking system isn't isn't fully integrated with the with the um, intelligent cruise control systems uh, you know and there's even in in one uh, 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 evaluation that they point out that in fact uh, you know they they even point out the, the admission that the that the intelligent cruise control does not stop for stopped vehicles. Okay. Uh, and it lets that, this is the stopping of the car, lets the automated emergency braking system uh, take care of that one if it can. And we've complained about this many times over here. You know, it's great to have an automated emergency braking system, but the way those things are structured is that they wait until absolutely the last second before they do it. Last second, uh, you know, I think in Mercedes, or maybe not quoting it quite correctly, uh, you know, they wait until 1.6 seconds uh, before collision. It's always computing time to collision. And uh, when that comes to 1.6 seconds, then they, then they, you know, they tighten this, the, the seat belt, they raise the windows, they close the, the, the sunroof, they put a bolster down so the engine doesn't take out your legs. Uh, they do all this pre-stuff and they slam on the brakes as hard as they can and all hell breaks loose inside the car trying to stop. I guess that's fine, but why'd you wait until 1.6 seconds before collision? Why didn't you start at 1.7 seconds or two seconds or 2.2 seconds or whatever? Why didn't you gently do this? Well, of course, I, I know what the answer is because, oh my goodness, and the, the occupant who's not the driver or the driver at that time is wondering why the car is braking. Okay, well, it's probably because you're tailgating and you're gaining on a guy and back off. Uh, but of course, you know, no OEM wants to do that because the driver, he, he is king. 
not so sure women react this way, but maybe, you know, whatever. And it's it's just really unfortunate. You know, and, you know, I know my own car, the intelligent cruise control works very well. It slows down behind a car it's following, but because it knows it's a, it's a moving car ahead. And of course, the problem has been, as I, we pointed out so many times, is that these systems have trouble with respect to stationary objects detected in the lane ahead because it makes mistakes too often. The false alarm rate of those things is too great. And maybe it's, hey, you know, maybe you should slow down if, if you're if you're fooled that something might be in the lane ahead. I know I do that when I drive. And my, my wife probably says to me, hey, why don't you do that? Right. <laughs> or although she may be tired of saying that to me, but <laughs> you know, if I'm sitting in a passenger seat, I'm like, hey, why'd you do that? Yeah. But maybe that's, you know, the amount of aggression that goes on in driving. I don't know if it's greater today than it was before. It certainly in my own perception seems, you know, here in central Jersey, people are I don't know if they're nuts, including me. Yeah, we need to seen, back we've off seen a this, little we've bit. Seen, we've seen the statistics to back up what you're saying. I mean, there's, and it's not just yeah. New Jersey, unfortunately. I don't. I think it's not just New Jersey, but it would be nice if the Society of Automotive Engineers, and I think you know, I keep pointing my finger at them, would you know redo what the heck they're doing and take these two silos that they have out there. One is automated emergency braking, and one is intelligence cruise control and automated driving assistance system and bring those things together. If you want to assist in my driving, probably the thing that I want most assistance with is don't let me crash into things that are ahead of me, whether you're stationary or not. That's where I need the most help. And then keep me in my lane. Right, because you know, I screw up on either one of those, I die. It's amazing I'm still alive. And we know what the statistics are with respect to you know, highest probability of death being age between I don't know nine or ten or whatever, and you know, 50 or whatever is uh, car crash. Huh. You know, come on, help us out here. We'll be back with more, but first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for a white paper. It's called the Smart Transportation Revolution. You'll find it under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you probably know, can be a, a good way to spread risk with investments, focus on a particular category of stocks. The website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We're back with more from the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter. Alan, our friend Henry Greenwich has helped to author a public policy toolkit for policymakers titled Advancing Transportation Electrification in Diverse Communities. It's on a website titled EV Hybrid Noir. Right, yeah, and I, I, hats off to Henry for putting this out. It, it's focused on electric vehicles, but I think it, you know, the, the, the same 
the same uh, uh, recommendations can be for for driverless vehicles. I, I think that uh, they really offer uh, and they'll probably be electric vehicles, too. Uh, but as we've we've argued and I've argued here that uh, that the uh, the opportunity uh, to deliver high quality mobility affordably um, allows one to all of a sudden provide begin to provide equitable mobility out there because there is a wide gap between those that have uh, access to a car and those that don't. I mean, it's a, a, essentially most places in the U.S. and the rest of the world. Alan Baruch Feigenbaum at the Reason Foundation has a report that says New Jersey ranks 50th, I think that's last, in the nation in, in highway performance and cost effectiveness. We don't have 51 states yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, yes, <laughs> Uh, a little discussion with Baruch about that. And, and uh, my only comment is, ouch. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, um, I tried to argue with him a little bit about, hey, we're the densest state. And of course, you know, it'd be, you know with the densest and not all that miles of road and so on to move all the people and so on and so forth. But apparently, you know, he's gone through the numbers and, and maybe if you took density into account, we wouldn't be quite 50th, but we're pretty far down. Ouch. Uh, Baruch, love you, but ouch. Well, you're hoping for some better New Jersey headlines soon. Yeah, yeah let's hope so. Russ Mitchell in the LA Times reports, high gas prices are hitting heavy duty pickup owners hard. And your comment is? Well, I guess my comment is if they moved a big uh, electric pickups, uh, I'd hate to see what the what they're going to say about the price of electricity in 2030, but who knows? That's a whole other story. Yeah, look, I mean, I thought at one point when GM decided not to produce a Hummer anymore, we were in good shape and we'll get back to more reasonably sized vehicles. But guess what's happened? I mean, all these pickups, I mean, whoa. I mean, I mean, well, the new uh, the new GM plant. The first thing they're going to turn out, I think, is the electric Hummer. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I, I mean, um, uh, uh, apparently big is beautiful i i you know uh, whatever the national academies of sciences engineering and medicine recently published a report headlined driverless motor vehicles not yet ready for prime time and the conclusion reads the potential benefits of driverless vehicles are significant Removing the driver greatly reduces or eliminates human error as well as risks due to human fatigue, distraction, and impairment. These factors account for the loss of nearly 40,000 lives every year in the United States. But major challenges must be addressed before driverless motor vehicles will be ready and accepted by the public for widespread widespread use. This is a, a generalization, but and there's nothing I don't think that we haven't said right here. Right. And the, the, they, they basically refer to a report by uh, by our friend um, um, uh, Chris, Chris Hart, who was uh, chairman of the um, National Transportation Safety Board and investigated, uh, you know, numerous uh, uh, airline uh, crashes. And of course, is is his, his, his uh, focus is, uh, has been, and, and his view, and, and I agree with it, is that, uh, you know, it's taken a long time for uh, autopilots and airplanes uh, to work well, even though it's a heck of a lot 
by some including him by some it a lot easier problem because there aren't kids playing with balls up there you know 30,000 feet uh, and um, uh, and still you know we have pilots in airplanes uh, uh, right I mean the, the it's a, a phenomenal what what the airline industry and the aircraft industry has been able to do with respect to safety uh, of those systems uh, you know uh, I look at the driverless uh, aspect is is it, it's to me it it, it, the objective is not safety. I mean, I, I think we are, we. I like to argue that uh, that we are very good drivers when we pay attention, and uh, really, what the automation is going uh, uh, is going to allow is that uh, is that uh, is that uh, the automation is going to pay attention and isn't going to misbehave the way we misbehave. So the real opportunity with the, with the automation is to, is to deal with the misbehavior issue and substantially reduce the misbehavior, not really to help us drive better than we can drive when we're behaving and paying attention. I mean, you know, that would really have to be good. But of course, the other element that, that Chris doesn't bring out in his article is that the real value for doing driverless to me is, is the equity business, is the provision of mobility uh, affordably and high quality mobility affordably uh, to, uh, to the general public. And, and, and they're not that, we want to put them at risk, uh, but this provides this this is this provides a, a really substantial improvement in in quality of life. So if we look at at the evolution of the airline industry from 1903 to today, uh, we went through some airplanes. I don't know uh, Ford Trimotor, Lockheed Electra, DC three really good airplanes. But uh, you know, I, I linked to the, their safety record, and their safety record was a you know it was it, it was acceptable given the enormous improvement in mobility to a certain group of folks. And so we went through that and we didn't wait until we were as safe as we are today to open this up to provide mobility to people. We evolved it and we evolved it over, you know, a, a solid 100 years, if not a solid, you know, 120 years. And, and in the beginning, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest thing going, but you know, the, 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 the value to society certainly outweighed the risk. Had it not, then it would have been like the Hindenburg. Huh? You know, that, that ended, boom, okay? That, now, maybe because it wasn't ours or because of who knows what other politics that are in there, but fundamentally, you know, society, as it looked at it, the risks were greatly outweighed. Uh, the value, uh, but that wasn't the case with respect to, to airplanes. And I think that, you know, we're going to, at some point, face that. And if you look at what AutoX is doing, you look at what Waymo is doing, you look at what Gaddick is doing, you look at what GM uh, Cruise is doing, 
they've reached the point, and at least they're indicating and where they're operating, um, the, the value to society is, is greater than the risk. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. And, and, and their perception of the risk here is not something that they've discounted, not at all. Because as we know, I mean, the few data points that we have in which, in which some bad things have happened, my goodness, the, the risks were more than expected. You know, there, there, there was a multiplicative factor on, on, the, on the computed, analytically computed risk in terms of what was, what was, uh, what, what was, uh, what became uh, captured or 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 and placed on it? You know, I keep saying that uh, you know Uber lost sixty billion in market cap because of one crash. Whew. I mean, has there been a more expensive crash in history involving one individual? I don't know. I mean, somebody will probably write in and tell me that they have and give me links to a bunch. Of of, I'd love to ta- see them. You're talking about what happened when they went public compared to what the forecast was. Yeah. What the forecast was. And sure. Some other things happened, but nothing else happened of any substantial magnitude. Except the Except, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm, Hey, I, I'm of course it's all it's somewhat speculation. It seems obvious to me. Well, let's hop on one of those planes you were talking about here and visit some headlines uh, elsewhere. The United Arab Emirates unveiled its first autonomous taxi this week at the Abu Dhabi Smart City Summit. And uh, then we can head to China, I suppose. Baidu and Pony AI have won approval to launch paid driverless robo-taxi services, uh, fewer than 100 vehicles. This is in Beijing. And We Ride is doing robo-taxis in, on GAC's uh, online ride hailing app yeah so there's so, a lot you know, going on there, there, really is. there are things going on and i think these are these are really some su- substantive announcements they're not just you know trying to pump for you know some more some more money from from the venture capitalists it's it seems it seems that you know it seems that these these have some stuff substance so they're the 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 pendulum is is swinging and I think uh, swinging in a in a positive direction to have some of these happen, and I hope they're not too early, and I you know that they uh, they don't uh, lead to uh, uh, they're not too soon. We do not want to do this too soon. And in fact, I, I think that the technology is the easy piece. The sociology is the tough piece. Some really significant news finally out of Purdue University that could really, I mean, there is still, even if you talk about 300 miles on a charge, there is still some range anxiety out there. Some people don't think that's good enough if they have to wait 20 or 30 minutes to get a charge or or sometimes longer. Purdue is saying its engineers have invented a new patent pending charging station cable that would fully recharge certain electric vehicles in under five minutes that's uh that's going to open some doors if that if that goes to market isn't it um, I, I, 
I guess maybe, but you know, I guess you, you also have to look it, at it. It doesn't solve the issue of where the power comes from. I mean, well, it doesn't solve the issue of where the power comes from. It also just de deals with the cable leading to your plug. Somehow the electricity has to also get to the batteries. So of course, you, I think you need the same cable going from your plug out to the batteries and whatever distributing out however that, that sucker's going. And of course, you know, the way they're doing this is, is they're, they're, they're just increasing the voltage. What that does and, and what this cable is, is that, is that it, has to, it has to provide the cooling to the heat that is generated because you're really trying to pump too many electrons in the, through that wire too quickly. And of course, that's the reason why you don't is because if you try to do that, the whole thing catches fire. So, to, so you got to cool it. So then you ask yourself, what is it that we're trying to solve here? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I try to put in the electrons faster. Now I have to cool the cable. So therefore, I need some electrons to cool the cable. Okay, because now I even need more electrons, not only the electrons that are going to go into my battery, but now the electrons that I need to cool the cable. Oh my goodness! I mean, what's the efficiency of this whole operation? I kind of the good thing when I had when I was pumping my gas is I guess it required a little bit of electricity to to get the get the the fuel out of the tank into my tank. Um, but are we, we should really tell we should tell people this was not in New Jersey. You're not allowed to pump your own gas. In New yeah, Jersey. New Jersey, you can't. You got to have a little <laughs> motor. I mean, I I guess maybe in other states, I should have like you know use some muscle power. To, no, I'm sure they don't. But but again, the charge faster, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us it, it costs us stuff in energy, and it's going to take more energy to do that faster. And 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 the question is, is that we're really out of all this trying to reduce the amount of energy, reduce the amount and reduce the amount of carbon and reduce and save the planet. But then, you know, at some point, somebody has to ask, where do all these electrons come from? And we've been asking that question for some time. And I guess somebody's going to figure that out. But my, my goodness. And, you know, and one other that I may add in here, apparently, like, I don't know, there's news out of California that, again, they're turning off power because they're afraid of, of, of because uh, sparking and overheating of the wires because they're pumping so many electrons through there through those wires that all of a sudden it's going to start wildfires. And now that, you know, there are a bunch of folks that don't have any electricity. What are they going to do when they don't have electricity to put into their EV to get anywhere? Uh, I don't know. It's nice that we have a car now, maybe, that can, that can use electricity we be, we better spend a, a major effort to deal as to as to where in the heck the electricity is going to come from and how it's going to be priced. Because all of a sudden, if there's now, if I need electricity to cool my cable so that I doesn't take me long to charge up my car, and I need the electricity to charge my car so I can can go someplace. Then I've, you know, I've asked the question that, that uh, you know, who's the new Saudi Arabia on this thing? We have to watch out what the cartel is going to all of a sudden start charging us for this electricity. 
So th there's much more to it than simply building more charging stations and, and faster charging. Much more to it to, to make. I think this there's really much more to it. Much more to it, and and you know, and and you be, you, to me the. You know, we had this competition in about 1905 or something like that between steam, internal combustion and electricity. And, and you know, I've suggested that at that particular point in history, it, it wasn't quite clear who was going to be the, the winner. Were the Stanley steamers going to win? Were the, were the Baker electrics going to win or were the auto, you know, uh, internal combustion engines going to win? And in the end, it became clear that... Uh, my goodness, uh, steam was uh, whoa, and um, and uh, and was way too heavy and whatever. And I guess and electricity, the battery, the battery has always been tough, and we've made some improvements in the battery technology, but 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 not anything similar to the improvements we made in computer technology, uh, a la Moore's law. Nothing near that. You know, we aren't anywhere comparable to, you know, exoflops. I mean, we're doing exoflops, 10 to the 18th floating point instructions per second. Whew. I mean, that's like, you know, unbelievable through parallelization and everything else and micro whatever and so on and so forth. Enormous. We need a, we need maybe not that kind of, of, of improvement over so many years that we've had with Moore's law, but at least a little bit of that with batteries. Otherwise, you know, the storing of this stuff and having enough and whatever and, and having, I don't know. Some people may say, hey, maybe this isn't the way to, 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 to save the planet. I don't know. If smaller so trucks would help, okay? And damn, darn it, if everybody went to smaller trucks, smaller cars, and so on and so forth, I mean, and you got, uh, and you reduce, you reduce the, you double the, the efficiency of, of, of gasoline uh, because uh, things were smaller and lighter and so on. It's going to take electricity a long time before it, 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 it contributes that especially when electricity is trying to get rid of coal so that we can light our houses and and uh, and make aluminum there's work to be done i think we need all that computing power you were talking about to help solve the problem i guess i know i i don't know i think we i think at times maybe we should just look back the envelope sort of things to make sure that that the kinds of things that we're doing aren't whoa doesn't pass the sniff test on that note <laughs> hopefully our turkeys all pass the sniff test <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness oh geez yes we, we want to thank our sponsor the smart etfs smart transportation and technology etf the ticker symbol for the etf is moto and more info is available at motoetf.com you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, Amazon, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, really. And you can get the smart speaker you have to play us, too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Helen Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. And please stay safe and have a great long weekend. And you have a great long weekend and happy December's coming and uh, the coming holidays and so on and so forth. Uh, everybody be safe, happy, and uh, 
hope to see you at Florida for the Florida um, AV conference.